Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Why, hello everyone and welcome back to Fandom Power. I, yeah, we are back again. Uh, we are your hosts. Uh, I'm Wes. I'm Andy. And uh, this is episode three of our little review series that we like to call Fandor. The titles keep writing themselves. I, I'm, the joke is never going to get old. <laughs> no, I can't wait to see what the next one's going to be. But this week, wow. we'll continue our weekly episodic breakdown of the latest Disney Plus Star Wars series and or. And tonight, our beat-by-beat beat review, we'll still cover all the deep dives and tackle that third episode with all the Easter eggs and greater lore connections that we've all come to know and love. I love them. They're fun. <laughs> and they take you to weird places. Uh, Gormanda, anybody? <laughs> well, I got a good one this week, too. Whip, whipster. <laughs> Not that good, but slightly good. Do I need to run that clip again? <laughs> If you didn't hear it the first time, that's right. No, I'm not going to do it. It's a good clip, though. Okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh no, I turned the volume off. Star whip, star whip, 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 star whip. Oh, I'm One of the deepest dives ever. I'm sorry, I can't get over that. <laughs> sorry, episode three. Yes, we're yeah. getting to episode three. This one, if you were, I mean, if you were starting on this one. You might go, oh, it's just another Star Wars show because this is the one I feel that has the most. Well, it Star Wars it has the feel. most Star Wars action. True, <laughs> it has our first full-on uh, what blaster fight, I guess. Our first blaster, yeah, our first yeah. speeder chase, uh, which was a lot faster than the one in uh, yeah in the book of Boba. A little bit. <laughs> All right, the con is yours, sir. Take us All through right, the episode. Let's go through this. Uh, so episode three is titled The Reckoning. It's uh, originally aired Wednesday, September 21st, 2022, along with the other first two episodes. Once again, written by Tony Gilroy and again in the director's chair, Toby Haynes. Uh, we've got a runtime of 36 minutes without titles and credits or 43 minutes all in. And we kick off the episode and we find young Casa. Uh, and it's in the past we're back there and we're on canary and we find him carefully making his way inside the down ship now i'm not sure if this is an exhaust port or like an actual entry point because it does have that same you know octagonal shape we did see um we've compared before on other ships i know back in episode one uh and episode two at the crash site we did see these sort of octagonal 
shapes on the exterior of the ship, whether they were ports of some kind or not. But clearly, I mean, judging by that image, that's yeah. not ground level where he's entering. No, from. he's he's had to climb up to it. But uh, he makes his way inside and through the corridor, and he comes across a couple dead bodies of two more crewmates. And, you know, he pokes them with his blowgun. There's no sign of life. And no. These guys, their skin tone is like yellow. It's kind of, they're kind of jaundiced. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, on one of them, we clearly see a separatist crest patch visible on his yep. uh, his uniform there. And uh, Casa, he pokes this guy as well. But in doing so, some sparks flash, and surprisingly, a door opens in front of him. And Cassa enters a room full of screens and instrument panels. And looking around, he catches a glimpse of himself in one of the very reflective surfaces. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you get the impression that he hasn't seen his own face in years. Right, right. And uh, he, he pauses for a moment, you know, gets his hand on his cheek. And then uh, he just flies into a rage. And he starts striking at the panels. So, you know, it's hard, it, it's hard to imagine the motivation where this is coming from. You got any ideas where, where you think this is? Uh, my only thought is maybe ships from afar came and did whatever they did to the planet. And he is now, I think some of these kids are old enough that they remember coming here. I don't think that they are necessarily, I don't think all the kids are native to the planet. I think no. that there was a labor force at some point okay. that the, that the Canary, well, maybe they are native. I don't know. I just get the impression that like, oh man, there's something more going on here. I don't know what it is. I do think that the, the older kids, especially like in episode one, when the, when the ship goes over that girl, she's waving at it. Hey, hey. Yeah, like she still thinks hope could be. There's some recognition rescued. there. And I think that there's also some recognition here. Recognition of what? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh. We cut to the present and we're in the scrapyards and a welder works away on this giant ship. Oh yeah. And he cuts a section and it just falls loose. And this giant section of hull falls to the ground. And then uh, maybe the nose section off one of those Venator starters. Maybe. But meanwhile, like a skeletal ship flies into frame with a platform attached by cables and it's got a platform hanging below it. And there's yep. two workers standing on it, and there is no visible safety nope, lines on no. these guys. They're just like <laughs> freestyling it up there. They're uh, Han and Chewie on the hauler from Solo there. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but they're riding this thing down, and Cassian, he's watching from the shadows. And uh, we catch up, and we see a bunch of yard workers. I guess they're calling them grapplers. Oh, is that okay? Is uh, that what they're The yeah. descriptive audio. Yeah, they're grapplers. Sure. But they're uh, yeah. just heaving cable out of this section they just dropped. Right, and, right. Rosso, he's in there too, and he takes notice of Cassian. So he drops his cables and he walks over. He says, uh, you know, friendly hellos. And Cassian tells him there might be some money coming in. And if it does, I'm out of here. Oh. And when Brasso yeah. says when, Cassian replies, today. But Brasso, he remarks that that doesn't sound good. Yeah. But Cassian, he says, you know, I'll leave the money that's owed to you with Marva. And if you wouldn't mind, just keep an eye on her if you can. Right. And uh, Brasso asks, where are you going? But he says, it's better if you don't know. Back in episode one, where we were talking about these relationships with people and how, you know, you get the impression that he's put people in positions before. Yeah. You get the feeling that he's had to bail before. Like, this doesn't seem like a big, other than I have to leave today. Yeah. Does this seem like a big surprise to him? Not really. I didn't think so either. No. But uh, Cassie, and he boldly states, I'll be back. 
I will find a way. And he rushes off. Then we cut elsewhere and uh, a shuttle ferry is coming in for a landing and it closely resembles like a modern bus or yeah, I give it a passenger car from a train bus vibe or commuter. Yeah, possibly commuter train. And this is I'm, the seating is definitely yeah commuter train ish. It's definitely I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've seen this particular model. Yeah, uh, but it's coming in for a landing at Ferrix Terminal and the passengers begin to depart. And uh, there are what looks to be a couple protocol droids running about and a terminal worker comes over the announcements and says uh, shuttle ferry discount tickets are available at the dispatch kiosk so you can get your deals but uh, Willie the passenger we met last episode uh, he's still striking up that conversation with Luthen and uh, he's continuing to give him travel tips <laughs> noting that the hotel is the <laughs> ultimate ferrix gouge talk yeah. about you know uh, traveling salesman though right yeah <laughs> make a conversation with anybody and he makes a point i know back in episode two he makes a point to say you know i'm in propulsion what do you do and it's like oh i get it you don't don't say yeah like a totally traveling salesman vibes you got the phone in his ear the whole time yeah can't give up too much info no but uh with one last tip he says you know mind your wallet in the two part ways and another shuttle comes in for a landing as luthan exits the terminal he comes around the corner uh, and what looks to be like a couple of modified Treadwell droids. Yeah, yeah, the head's on them for sure. Yeah, but uh, they're scurrying about the street. Multiples are go or multiple locals are going about their business. And uh, we find Bix Colleen sitting in the open air bar sipping a drink. And once she catches sight of Luthen, she drops some credits and rushes after him. Uh, yeah, it's only after he walks past her like yeah, that she gets it's up to the very yeah. clandestine, subtle. Yeah. Because he doesn't break stride. And she no. quickly falls in to step beside him. And she relays that there's a complication. Premore Enforcement has put out a bulletin for someone meeting Cassian's description. Yep. And Luther notes he's seen it, but it doesn't mention and or by name. And that they're just looking for someone from Canari. So Luther goes on to tell her that Cassian's Imperial prison record says he's from Fest. Right. And Bix, she confirms, you know, that's always been a story. Yep. But Luthen asks if he's been identified yet, and she says she doesn't think so because not too many people know him. But from the interactions, you kind of get the impression that a lot of people kind of do know him. Well, at least in some capacity. Their whole, uh, you know, I mean, we get to it later with the blow up with Marva, but like, yeah. And she even says, How many people have you told? Yeah. Apparently more than we, than he's let on. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, he questions if Andor killed these men on Morlana and without saying anything, she shoots him a glance and kind of confirms it. Feel, uh. So uh, he then asserts that, you know, we better be quick about it. And Bix tells, you know, Luthen he's in the East build or East lot building nine. And when he asks, do you trust him? Bix responds, he'll be there. And then the two part ways and a work tram glides up the street, bringing in more workers. So there's like a ton of yeah. humanoid workers on this planet. Doesn't that speak to their relationship though? Yeah. You know, that, uh, you know, uh, love, uh, lost, but still kind of, yeah, he'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Then we cut to space and we get the Preox Morlana personal carrier ship as it comes out of hyperspace and three cool design though it is very, uh, I don't know. Pyramidish. Yeah, mo uh, monolithic kind of thing. If you look at it from the side, maybe a Toblerone bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, the Star Wars Toblerone shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's going to stick. There you go. <laughs> but uh, three smaller ships depart from it. And inside one of these three, Sergeant Mosk makes his way to the front button ahead of the other uh, corpos. Yeah. And uh, he eyes up Cyril as they approach the planet. And Cyril, he doesn't return the gaze. He just stares out the front of the ship as turbulence rocks that small craft on its entry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the ship for a minute? Sure. The, what do they call them? The, 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 the Priox Morlana personal carrier. Not the carrier, but the, um, or the little, uh, their drop, little drop ships. Drop they, ships. they look to be based on the LAAT Republic gunship. Hmm. I, you know, in fact, like a I smaller actually, version of it. Yeah. I thought they were gunships, like the actual Republic gunships. I'm like, oh, Republic gunships. Okay, we're going to get clones. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. Yeah, they're definitely really small ships. They do like, name them. I can't remember what the heck they're called. Um, tactical pods. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, they serve a, the similar function where yeah. clearly they're meant to drop people in. Yeah. Drop um, and as you say, they're quite small because they've only packed, what, six people on that one? And they are six plus pilot. Yeah. Almost, almost shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Front to back. Yeah. Cool little design. Mm -hmm. Back on the surface, we find uh, B2EMO rolling along the main street. And as another droid cuts in front of him, we shift to a flashback and we get him in his like pristine mint condition form. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like all shiny, no scuffs, no nothing. And uh, he's rolling through an open door, relaying that there is no air toxicity. And behind the droid, a younger Marva and her partner enter in search of a console unit. Hesitant, she says, you know, remove your mask as whatever gas was here has burned off and it's safe right. now. Yeah, yeah. But he relays it's not, it's uh, time, not gas that they should be worried about. Because they've got like, maybe nine minutes to get back to the thing right to however they got there yeah they right, only right. have a limited window before they have to truck back but uh, down the corridor they hear a clanking yep and uh, everybody kind of stops and uh i'm gonna cut here for a second because uh clem is played by uk actor and writer gary beetle uh, you may know him from the 2015 film in the heart of the sea with chris hemsworth oh that's the the um the Moby Dick story. Yeah. Yeah. He, he played William Bond. Okay. Uh, he's also been on the long running series, silent witness for BBC. Yeah. Where yeah, he yeah. guested as DCI, Tony Underhill. Oh, okay. And then he did a 2015 appearance on the BBC series, the interceptor with the whole thing being kind of shot in London. I mean, it is a super heavy British cast. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure everybody who's watching in the UK is like, oh my God, I know all these people. Yeah. And we're like, uh, what? But yeah. Outside of that, he's been on a slew of British television yeah. programs. Yeah. yeah. So. That was the same with my episode too. With yeah. episode one, all kinds of, uh, of British talent. Yeah. But, uh, that's him there. Back on the ship though, Marva relays that there must be at least six brand new fuel modules up ahead. But her partner Clem states, you know, we've already got more than we can carry. And Marva, she asked B2, what's the asking price on them? And B2's like, for sale or for barter? <laughs> Interesting that he's like a walking eBay. Yeah, basically. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, Clem, he kind of scoffs at that, but they hear another crash and Clem insists, we got to go now. But Marva, she moves forward anyway, saying, you know, it could be anything. Right. And we cut to the control room and Cass is in there and he's in the midst of wrecking anything he can. Uh, he's smashing panels. He picks up a pipe and starts beating on the controls. 
and without him noticing the door slides open and Marva and her partner enter the room and uh, Clem, he catches him off guard and tells him, you know, I like your spirit, but you might not want to be here when they come to clean up. Yeah. They, and he's completely caught off guard and he doesn't understand a word they're saying. And he switches the pipe real quick back for his blowgun, And he starts yelling at Marva and Clem and Canari. And just then B2 rolls in and announces that a Republic frigate is approaching and his eyes go so wide. Like, is this the first droid he's ever seen? Well, that that's the question too, right? There's the, there's a, um, there's a soft musical change there. And the tone changes when the droid rolls in and it's almost like they're discovering each other. Yeah. Sort of hints at that, that relationship we talked about in In episode episode one. Yeah. 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 We cut back to the present and uh, Sergeant Mosk and Cyril, they're staring forward as they continue their choppy approach to Ferrix and two of the ships, they bank right while their ship banks left and sets down in a refinery area. Right. And the rear la- uh, rear ramp lowers, and Sergeant Mosk, he disembarks with his team behind, and there's some Orabesh on the door. Pretty basic. It just reads, caution. Don't hit your head here. Yeah. <laughs> Watch <Yuck>. your step. <laughs> but uh, a local worker, he shoots them a dirty look as they pass by, and a couple Fergosians, uh, they go about their tasks too. And the two other teams are confirming over the comlink that they are in position as well. Uh, this isn't the first time we've seen Fergosians, though. No, no. Uh, they first appeared in the short story, The Face of Evil, written by Landry Q. Walker. And it was part of the journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens oh, right, uh, right. multimedia campaign. Yep. Uh, they did pop up as minor characters in that film. And they've also okay. popped up a lot in Star Wars Resistance. Uh, Resistance, yeah. And the first two episodes of Kenobi. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Apparently, they were named after the McDonald's Fry Guys, and that was uh, <laughs> thanks to Pablo Hidalgo. Wow, you're going to be dating us now. Yeah, um, so there's another deep cut for you. Think about it. There's a generation of people that have no idea what you just said. I know. The Fry, Fry guys, guys, what? What are they? They run with the Hamburglar. <laughs> robble, robble. <laughs> on another road, though, uh, Luthan, he taps a button on his cane, and it retracts into the hilt. And he slips it into his coat pocket. And I if, thought that was pretty slick. If you look at his coat pocket there, he's got some other, you know, tricks and uh, stuff. That, that's a very long pocket. Yeah. 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 So it makes you wonder what else he's carrying. Back in the scrapyard, one of the grapplers remarks that they haven't seen the blues in a while. And when another asks what they're doing here, the first man replies, they're hunting somebody. And Brasa, he watches for a moment before returning to his task because he knows who they're hunting. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Then we cut uh, inside building nine on the east lot and we find Cassian waiting inside. And this is the beginning of the scene that we were given early on Disney Plus Day. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It was also in the uh, special preview. Yeah, the special preview. Yeah. yeah. So he turns, he moves towards the door and looks around for a minute before closing it shut. And we shift back again to flashback where we find uh, Cassa desperately trying to keep his distance between Marva and Clem. Oh, yeah. And Clem notes that it'll take nine minutes to get back to the ship, but he's continuing to remove these new fuel cells. And meanwhile, Marva, she's trying to convince Cassa that they're trying to help. But he says, let him run. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Marva insists, no, they'll kill him. And Clem retorts, they'll kill us if they catch us. But then Clem asks B2 how far the Republic ship is and he says you know it's it's orbiting yeah, it's in orbit so time is getting short marva asks b2 for the drowser and clem's eyes go wide and he's getting says no he's got people here but marva says 
it'll be open season on them once that frigate lands and they find oh, yeah. a dead officer. Yeah, 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 dead and full of. Uh, is that where? Of, isn't that what she she makes a the blatant remark about uh, Republic officer? Uh, yeah, yeah. I so she re- she refers to him. That that's the big thing. Because they keep referring like the Republic frigate is coming, the Republic people. But this is the the moment where she actually identifies, which we thought maybe was a misidentification that yeah. this person with the CIS uh, uniform and, yeah. and insignia was misidentified as a Republic officer. Yeah, but not sure I believe that anymore. Well, that theory we're going to talk about at the end of this. Yeah, yeah. I've assembled a little bit there. But uh, continuing on here, uh, Clem still saying no and casa you know he lunges forward but marva catches him and administers the drowser and he stops flailing and goes limp and clem says you better think about what you're doing and as she picks up the boy she says you know there'll be plenty of time for that but i'm not leaving him here to die yeah and oddly enough in this scene there's a couple instances where there's no visible damage to those panels where casa was just smashing oh (laughs) minor oversight but it's so quick if you're not looking for it you won't miss it but uh like how the uh, fuel cells that they're gathering look exactly like the part that uh, Bix hauled out of that engine in episode one. Yeah. Like they're exactly the same. Yeah. Standard design, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Back in the present, though, on Ferrix, the East team, they've landed and radios in that they're on site. And we cut to the interior of Marva's home. And uh, she hears the beeping, goes to answer the door and finds that it's Cyril, Sergeant Mosk and the rest of their team. And they tell her they have a warrant for Cassie and Andor. And she moves to shut the door, but before she can do it, you know, they just force yeah. their way in. So, you know, kind of a brutal police force-ish. Uh, if they've got a warrant, though, I mean, yeah. what did you think was going to happen? True. I'm going to close the door on your foot. Nope. That's not <laughs> happening. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bix, she's returned to her place of business and asks Tim why there's still a pile of stuff out in the alley because he wanted it gone. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, I just forgot. And setting down a data pad, he gives her a smile and exits. And she kind of gives him a shifty look, you know, a little bit suspicious as he leaves. Right. And we cut back again to Marva's and the corporals are tearing Cassian's room apart and they force her to watch. And then she tells Cyril that, you know, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. But he replies, it can all go away if you just tell us where Cassian is. Um, I just want to interject for a second here. The course of the three episodes, all of the stuff in the present. Yeah. Do we feel that this is like over a three day span? Like I would say it's a very short would, period of yeah, time. Very like short. From the time of the the murder yeah. to the uh we're gonna go and arrest him. Yeah. Because I don't think the in episode one, the the traffic controller was like it's gonna take all night yeah. to filter the data. Okay, so you do that all night. The next day, you know, he goes into the the other three and says, put out a bulletin. Yeah. Do you think he got snitched on that same day? I would think so. And then this is after maybe, the bulletin came out, he got snitched on. And maybe this is the following day or maybe a, a day or two after that. Maybe. I feel like it's a very short period of time, though. Yeah. Whatever time. I mean, remember, she went to uh, the radio tower at the beginning of episode one and he's here. Yeah. Uh, episode two, right? Like he yeah. just. Again, with that hyperspace discrepancy, well, right? Because, yeah. like, you know, Luthen shows up in the record time. That's right. And, but it feels like it takes these guys, you know, a bit longer, a bit longer to get there because they're, you know, giving speeches and everything back in episode two. Oh, yes. Very inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, I, don't, I don't, I'm not fully sure on the time frame, but it's definitely quick. I think it's just it was more of a more of a curiosity thing. Like it just the pacing, it, it speaks to the pacing of the series. Yeah. Um, it works for me. I like it. Yeah. But uh, before long, B two he rolls back into the place and uh, he's quickly surrounded, and Cyril threatens to remove his power source if he doesn't tell him where Cassian is. And Marva she tries to comfort the droid, saying, "You know, you can't do that." But Cyril barks, "Shut her up!" And yeah. One of the corpos yeah. they like restrain her and put her hand over her mouth. And uh, then we get a cut back over to building nine and Cassia and he radios over to B2 seeing if he's made it back home yet. Oh yeah. And unbeknownst to him, you know, Cyril and the rest, they're just standing there. Standing there listening. Yeah. Oops. Yep. So he hasn't learned his first lesson about comms yet. But uh, Sergeant Mosk, he's got a signal tracer and he pulls that out and uh, Cassian continues talking, telling B2 to tell Marva that he's sorry and make sure that she keeps the heat on because she gets cold. And Mosk, he's reading his device and determines that the signal is coming from the east and the corpo's op. They're going to leave two guys behind to watch out because the crowd's kind of getting restless outside and they depart towards the signal source. Again, Cassian asks if B2 is receiving his messages, but the door at the end of the hall slides open and Luthen is standing there. He steps in and uh, he shuts the door and he calls out to Andor who steps out from behind some machinery and he then slides the door closed and asks, are you alone? To which Cassian replies, I am. And then we cut back across town again and we find uh, the corpos. They've exited Marva's house, but the crowd's gathered and they're beginning to question, you know, what's going on. Yep. But Sergeant Mosk, he's just kind of pushing his way through yelling, we're serving a warrant, get out of the way. But uh, Wilman, he appraises the situation before running off. And when Cyril asks how far, Mosk tells him about a 10-minute walk, but the East team will secure the site. And I will say this is the longest 10-minute walk in Star Wars history. <laughs> did you put it up against the uh, the episode counter? I did not. Okay. But uh, it certainly it feels long. It yeah. feels really long. This episode does something really, really well with the corporals. And uh, I just, I'm going to bring it up now because it, it, it happens a lot throughout the episode is the communication between sergeant mosk and all the other teams the, other teams, the radio yeah. procedure yeah it was really really well done super super credible um yeah because they're in constant contact absolutely i mean even some of the voice procedure that he uses it's very familiar if you've been in in policing or if you've been in the military and have used radios and radio procedure it feels very authentic cool uh back inside the factory luthan he asks you know how much and Cassian replies, 40,000 credits and says, uh, it's not that much for an untraceable star path unit with vector crystals and seals still intact. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's mint condition. He goes on to tell Luthen that you could track every Imperial coordinate for nine radial parsecs. So, so no, it's not just a navigation tool. Well, there you go. So there's our special piece of na uh, navigation equipment with special properties. Yeah. How awesome is that? That would be super useful for a rebellion uh, to be able to trace other other imperial ships. Absolutely. Yeah. So the bargaining begins as Luthen asks if it's here, but Andor fires back, "Is the money here?" And Luthen he's quick to ask, you know, how do I know it works? But coolly, Cassian tells him it's sealed. The moment I plug it in, the value drops. Yep. And coldly, Luthen says, "So you could be scamming me," but Cassian he assures him, giving Luthen his word. 
Sounds like a Facebook marketplace deal. Yeah. <laughs> but what if that's not enough, says Luther. And then Cassian gives a small laugh and tells him, you know where I live. So Luther, and he moves in closer and states, well, if uh, I'm disfa- uh, dissatisfied, I could I return. could come back, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the real feeling out process kind of begins here. Oh, yeah. And Cassian questions, uh, have you ever been burned by Bix before? But Luther coyly asks if uh, Andor is even planning on sticking around. Yeah because we know he's not well remember i had said back in episode one that i thought that maybe bix had talked up cassian yes previously because he keeps going on about you know he wants to meet me do you think this plays into what she might have told uh um, luthan about cassian absolutely about his particular skill set and where he comes from and what he's about yeah why else? Why is Luthen so interested in him? Yeah, is he um, just a common thief, or yeah, is there something yeah, yeah, yeah. more? But uh, we switch over again, and back in Bix's showroom, uh, Salmon Pack rushes in and tells her that the corporals are looking for Cassian. And Pack questions what Cassian has done now. And as Tim looks over at them whispering, he's like, you know, probably listening in. But uh, Bix arrives at the conclusion that somebody's ratted him out. And Bix rushes around the counter, insisting someone has to go find him. But Tim stops her, telling her, don't. And she says, you know, don't what? Yeah. And then Tim, he's like, you know, he can take care of himself. But Bix Press is asking if uh, she ever told him that Cassian was born on Canari. It's the sheepish look that he that he gives her. And she actually makes a point of saying, you don't know who we're talking about. Yeah that's when she knows right that yeah. it's him yeah because uh he says he doesn't remember but she says she does yeah and she asks him how yeah, could yeah. you do that and she's just giving him such a disgusted look like she knows he's the rat and uh she takes off out the door leaving pack behind asking tim what did you do but before he can answer he chases after bix yeah so he knows he screwed up uh yeah <laughs> that jealousy has come back a uh, big time yeah yeah back in the factory though luthan he unwraps the imperial not or ns9 starbath unit also questions. known as vader's chess box yeah <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like yeah very much yeah yeah, yeah. says uh where you got it and cassian snaps back what's the difference you know it doesn't make any difference and luthan lays it out that uh, Cassian is either an Imperial spy up yep. front for who he should really be dealing with, or he's the thing himself. He's the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. But Cassian says, there's only one option. Either you have the money or you don't. I and quite like the, ching, the, the flourish of... and then just like fans it. Yeah. Yeah. From his coat pocket. But then he puts it away, still trying to figure Cassian out. And he starts to reveal that he knows a lot more about Andor than Andor realizes telling him, you know, I know that you've bribed quartermasters to leave valuables on ships before they go into the scrap, but this isn't that. Well, that's cool. That's a nice little detail that, you know, you to have that confirmation that that's what the scam was between him and Bix. Yeah. That they had had that thing set up. That's cool. Yeah. But that also speaks to uh, the level of corruption within, yeah. within the yeah. Empire. Yeah. Which we already saw a little bit of in Solo um when han was trying to get on the transport and he's like signed up for the empire yeah they just let him through yeah but uh cassian tells him you know i just went in myself and i got it 
and a little bit skeptical, Luthen questions how, because it's it was sealed on an Imperial naval base on Steergard. First time we've heard about that particular base. And uh, Cassie and his patients are being tested at this point. He's like, I got the box. You got the money. What else is there to talk about? Right. But Leluth, and he delivers a proposition. I'll give you another thousand credits if you tell me how you got it. And Cassian laughs it off at first, but Luthan, without hesitation, done. Yep. Yep. So uh, he tells him plainly, you know, you just walk in like you belong. And he thinks there's still more, but Cassian asserts, all you need is a uniform, some dirty hands, and an Imperial toolkit. Yep. The Empire is so proud of itself, they don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied that they can't even imagine someone like Andor could get into their house walk their floors, spit in their food, and take their gear. I believe him when he says he spit in the food. Oh, yeah, 100%. But Luther, he questions, you know, their arrogance is remarkable, isn't it? They don't even notice us. Yeah, us. Yeah. Us. And this gives Cassie in a moment of pause, and he's like, us? I don't yeah. even know you. And Luther, he tips his hand at this point saying, uh, fair enough, but I know you. And he goes on to tell him that uh, these days will end, that soon they won't just push through the crowds and tell people what to do soon the empire will have to listen to them yeah and there's a sense of panic in cassian's voice now and he keeps telling luthan you know we should move you don't want to be caught with this thing and luthan reports uh well you know they'd hang him for it they'd take him up yeah. the next road and hang him in the square and that wouldn't be the first time and then he asked cassian isn't that where they hung your father yeah so uh not a good ending for clem coming up uh, at this point, Cassie, and he pulls his weapon and demands, you know, who are you? Which, by the way, is Clem's blaster. Yeah. But uh, he tells Cassian he knows him. And yes, he wants the box, but he's also looking for something more, which he thinks he's found. And being short on time, he says, you know, come with me. Luthan tells him that uh, all the details that we already know. And again, more aggressively, Cassian asks, who are you? But this is the wrong question. The right question is how much time do they have to escape? Cassie questions why you would want to go anywhere with Luthan, but then Luthan asks, don't you want to fight these bastards for real? Yeah, the for real part is the part that makes you go, oh, yeah, oh, no more stealing parts. Let's actually do some damage yeah. to the Empire. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we cut back out on the street again, and uh, Cyril and his squad, they're still walking through that 10-minute walk. Wilman, he takes notice, and Pack comes running up telling him, go, before grabbing a pipe and signaling it on a piece of metal. Wilman starts beating on another piece, and another local takes notice, and he starts bashing on some metal as well. And the clanging starts, and it's basically setting off like a low-tech alarm, I guess. I feel like that's almost a reference to uh, they have their own way of doing things. Yeah. yeah. That they look out for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Again, with the tight-knit community, right? You kind of it makes you wonder, like the people on Ferrix, you know, do they maybe they just come from a different walk of life where, you know, backgrounds are maybe everybody's background is a little gray. Maybe go here for a fresh start. Yeah, exactly. Shop owners, they start closing up shop and back at the factory, Luthan, he asks, what does the clanging mean? Mm -hmm. But we don't get an answer because we cut over to the salvage yard. And Brasso, he stares toward the sound, knowing something's about to go down. Yep. And when Cyril questions what all the clanging is, Sergeant Mosk, he dismisses it. It's just simple intimidation and nothing more. But the shopkeepers, they keep closing up businesses. And uh, Cassian back in the factory asks how Luthan got here. 
and he tells him he has a ship nearby the ferry lot. And Cassian then postures, well, maybe Luthen is an Imperial spy. Mm -hmm. Why else would he be here and knew that they were coming? But Luthen tells him good people are hard to find, and he didn't want to see Cassian tossed on the pyre. So Luthen thought they had more time, but he was wrong. And just then, something inside his coat starts beeping. And I like that he says, may I? Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, pulls out the little device, and he tells Andor that he is his best bet right now. Yeah. Pulls out the little, I, for lack of a better word, scanner, I guess. I feel like it's like, you know, the, the radar detector detector. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? Like, he know. I think that's the device that says, did you bring a, like, that's, there's a radio signal that I'm, yeah. I'm getting. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird that it only beeped now, but. It could be a reflection of, you know, they're, maybe they're using his signal. The, the corporals are using their device to and get a ping getting, or something. And they're getting closer. Maybe. Yeah. Luthen asks Cassian, are you carrying a comm link? And demands that he give it to him now, which he does. He tosses it over Luthen. He stomps it on the ground and he tells Cassian rule number one, never carry anything you don't control. Yep. And they hear clanking outside and they realize they're surrounded. And then a closer knock comes to the door where they both entered in. And uh, as they're staring it down, we cut again and the North team is still on approach, but Vic, she comes racing down another stairwell and behind her, uh, we got some weird signage here. There's both Arabesh and Domabesh. Domabesh. Yeah. Have we seen that before? Not a lot. And that's not, uh, and it's weird because there's not a full available alphabet out there. Oh, okay. So uh, on the left there, it says glow. All right. Orabesh. Sure. And then uh, on the right, the top line, the best I could make out was Swanwa because Swanwa. I do not, the last character I don't have, but it could be the Y. Swanway, yeah, Swanway, and then in Orabesh underneath it says rate. And the only thing that makes sense to me is if a character is hidden behind the pipe and it reads Swanway Freight. Oh, you know, that kind of makes sense, and thematically, it fits in with everything else yeah, on the like planet, shipping yeah. out parts yeah. and whatnot. Back to the thing at hand before long, Bix and the North team they cross paths and they order her to stop. She tries to flee, but they pull their blasters out, and you know, hands up, she knows she's caught. And uh, the East team radios in Cyril and Mosk are asking if they should engage. And they say, no, wait, Mosk tells Cyril, you know, they have him pinned down. Now's the time to close the snare. Yeah. Yeah. So again, they're still not rushing. They're still just walking. Well, this is it. I, I was just going to remark, you know, the difference between a police force and a military force. Do you notice that uh, Mosk's team, they're just walking with a purpose. No weapons are not drawn. Yeah. He's, you know, we're just serving a warrant. Yeah, we're They're acting very much like police. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, back inside the factory, Cassian, he questions, you know, what are they waiting for? And Luthen says reinforcements. He then asks Andor how he planned to get out. And uh, he replies, my exit's gone now. And with the wastelands at least 40 clicks across, Luthen suggests they need a speeder. And Cassian says the best way to get one of those is go west through town. And Luthen, he points out a tunnel and says, well, that, where does that go? And he tells him, you know, it goes under the old furnace. Yeah. And uh, will it get us out of there? Yeah, but it'll go the long way around. So uh, Luthen, again, with those uh, trinkets and whatnot in his pocket, pulls out another small device and uh, he tells Cassie and he puts slap charges on the door on his way in. Rule number two, build your exit on the way in. 
interesting that uh, he's been there long enough to have time to do that. Well, he did it on his way in. Well, is what I mean, though. Like, yeah, like you get the impression that because the way it's presented, yeah. it's presented that Cassian's there first. Yep. Uh, nope. Oh no, he would have been if because Luthen just walking up, he's like, okay, place one here, place one there. Uh, possibly. I just got the impression from this that Luthen had already been there, had set everything up, and waited, and probably watched Cassian come in before he went in. Maybe. I guess it still works, though. It works either way. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. He tells Cassian, brace yourself, and hits the button and detonates these charges, blowing up the doors on two sides of the building, causing a chain reaction, and a bunch of machinery hanging from the ceiling starts falling. And a corporal, he staggers in from the door, but before they can even get a shot off at him, he collapses on the floor. I think he maybe took the brunt of the uh, the blast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but... uh Luthen beckons Andor, we got to go, but they've left the box behind. So Cassie and he moves to retrieve it. And uh, a little bit more of the machinery starts falling in front of him. And the corpos they've entered at this point, And one of them opens fire on him. Yep. So they retreat and the two are quickly pinned down behind some machinery and they start, you know, returning fire. And uh, the more they fire, the more metal falls down. And uh, Cassian, he just rushes forward and Luthen tells him, forget the box. But guns blazing, he's, you know, yep. advancing. Well, to Cassian, that's his meal ticket. Yeah. He needs it. Yep. Got to get that for the money, right? So uh, as he advances, Luthen, he shoots out a couple spools of chain, causing one of the corpos to get tangled in it and dragged across the floor. Mm. But uh, outside, Sergeant Mosk, he's receiving a transmission that uh, the East team has uh, two members down already and they're taking fire and he yells back at them. You're supposed to wait. Oh yeah. He starts losing his, uh, losing his stuff. Yeah. At this point they start rushing towards the scene and back inside Cassie and he looks back seeing Luthen gone and he rushes forward again anyway, but a corporal jumps out to shoot and turns out uh, Luthen has taken a new position and blasts him down. But uh, as Cassian rushes forward once more, more machinery comes crashing down, knocking the star path unit across the floor. And as he moves to retrieve it, he's hit in the shoulder by fire from a corporal up in the rafters. Mm-hmm. So uh, he takes the first shot of this, I guess. Well, no. Takes one of the uh, glancing blows. Because the other guys take lethal. There's blows. a spot in the firefight where I've 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 watched it twice now, and I'm like, did Cassian just get hit? Yeah, because he does. He takes it right in the shoulder. He does. Okay, yeah. because but he doesn't slow down no, for nothing. No, he just kind of barrels forward. Like does he get some armor in that coat sleeve? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's been in this situation before. <laughs> to uh, Luthen, he starts trading fire with the guy in the rafters as Cassian scrambles back and the shots continue to rain down, just missing him. But more machinery comes loose and Cassian leaps over, knocking Luthen out of the path of one. But is that uh, before or after he gets hit by that box? Right before. Yeah. 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 <sighs> yeah Cause as they continue to retreat, you know, he's knocked Luthen down. And as he stands up, uh, he takes what looks like a I hook. I guess a chain, a, chain a hoist hook. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that to the head. And uh, Luthen, seeing that he's down, he returns fire a little bit just to give him a couple minutes. Because getting shot wasn't bad enough. You yeah. get hit by a piece of machinery. Yeah. But uh, then when Cassian's moving again, Luthen, he dives in the tunnel. And Cassian follows right behind. And we see behind them, like, just everything's coming apart. Yeah. 
outside Cyril and Mosk, they continue towards the firefight and they're not, they're still not running. They're just like briskly walking, <laughs> but uh, they get no response from the East team. And the North team is stuck as well because there's no street signs to tell them where to go. And Vic, she sees a momentary opportunity and she tries to escape, but they stop her cold and slam her against the wall. Back in the factory, though, uh, Luthen and Cassian, they've got through to the furnace room and they're running through and they find a gap in the wall that takes them out to the refinery area. Yeah. So they've uh, escaped the building and they give pause just for a minute because Cassian's like, the box is still back there. He's still after all that. That's the part that gets me. I'm like, you got shot. You got smashed by a piece of equipment and you still want to go back knowing yeah. that you're it's into the fire. Yeah. And like the amount of stuff that fell from the ceiling, there's no guarantee yeah, you're not that it wasn't smashed to pieces. I, I would have been at <laughs> the first shot. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, let's go back. And Luthen says, you know, they wouldn't come with just four guys. And just then a blaster shot goes right between them. And uh, they return fire at him and run off elsewhere. The North team, uh, they're back on the North stairs lane and this is the same one from episode one. Oh, so it is. Yeah. yeah. Droid parts. Because again, droid parts is right visible. Oh, wait a minute. Now, is that your sign across the street then? It is. So did you get the other bit of the language out of that? I did not. Oh, that's okay. You can see that mystery character again, but yeah. Yeah. The one that's like, I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. I don't know what it is. interesting how they've reused that. Yeah. But uh, before long, Tim comes rushing down the stairs, calling to Bix. And once he sees her, you know, he sees she's injured. She's bleeding out the head from uh, yeah. being slammed against the wall. And now handcuffed to that yeah. hole or pipe, pipe or that's something. sticking out of the, yeah. But uh, he rush, he yells out, you know, who did it? And he comes charging forward, but he's shot dead. And yeah, he, tumbles he down yells something like she's hurt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bix is staring, or sitting there watching in horror. Did they, you know, as he's rushing forward, did they even try telling him to stop? They did. They told him to stop a couple times. Well, you know, but once he saw her bleeding, it just, he rushed. You know, that whole, uh, you know, lawful, lawful authority and, you know, not responding to direction from a, from a police officer. I mean, this is very indicative of the cop tells you to do something and you don't do it. Yeah. But uh. Uh, you get the impression that, uh, they weren't supposed to engage like that because uh, uh no the leader of this team you know he confiscates the shooter's rifle and like barks at him go back to the pod and get it in the air and uh at this point they all go off just leaving bix handcuffed to the pipe staring at the poor body like this is somehow his first op or something and yeah. he's just so like, oh, so God, yeah, nervous shot a civilian so nervous that that's just his that's how he reacted yeah the West team, they're continuing towards the scene. And uh, the last member of East team relays, they have explosives and Moss calls to wait. And he's told there's two humans heavily armed and heading their way. And when Cyril asks if they're just going to stand there, Mosk asserts, no, we should split up and pick them off as they run towards us. So these four guys, they take their positions and they ready themselves. And Cyril, interestingly enough, he takes position in a shop. And upon hearing a noise, he fires at a couple of fleeing alien clerks in the back. So of them, he's got like the most. He's a little twitchy too. Yeah. Yeah. But he's taken the position where he's least likely to engage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From I mean, I just saw it as he was going for cover and, yeah. uh, you know, to get the drop on. Because like he opens the door, but then he makes a point of closing the door almost closed. Leaving it open enough yeah. to see out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But not really to uh, engage with anything coming by. 
Yeah, I guess so, eh? Yeah. Back at Marva's place, the two remaining corpos there, they're visibly agitated because of all the clanking. And one, he's just kind of tapping his holster, and the others keep him watch out the window. And Marva, she's like, gets to you, doesn't it? And one corporal, he tells her, shut it. But as the clanging continues, she quietly says, that's what a reckoning sounds like. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you touched on this before you go ahead. Um, the guy that's in the window, that rifle, um, I couldn't help but notice the rifles that they're carrying look like they're from the same family as Boba Fett's EE3 carbine. Mm. Like they have that same kind of like like a cylindrical thick shape. barrel, yeah, yeah, with the skinny skinny scope down the side. Yeah, not this. They're definitely not, not the exactly, same, but... but they could be you know in the same family of blasters, maybe for sure. Uh, we get some really quick cuts now, and uh, we cut to Bix. She's still staring at Tim's dead body. Cassian and Luthen, they've stopped as these little alien clerks. They come rushing by them. And in the salvage yard, Brasso, he's taking his gloves off as he walks away from that uh, <laughs> the tack pod. corpo pod. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know he's done something. Yeah, but you don't know what. I kind of like that. Again you know the relationships uh you know how far you know a person is willing to go yeah and here's a guy who <coughs> excuse me here's a guy who we sort of understand has probably been burned by cassian but is still a good friend more than once and uh, we actually get to see how far he's willing to go for him yeah. which is kind of cool yeah marva in a over a voiceover she says you wanted to stop but it keeps coming and then we cut to the balcony uh, and Sergeant Mosk, he takes a long drink from his flask. Oh, yeah. And uh, one thing that kind of caught me here, is he uh, Irish or Scottish? I couldn't say for certain. I'm not really. Because if he's like the redheaded Irishman. Oh, having, maybe. Having him drink is kind of on the nose. Oh, yeah. But uh, something to steady his nerves, I guess. Um, not going to lie. Uh, I've known a few people in my in my days in the service to have a flask on them when they're on exercise or in the field. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of a little nip. Hmm. I want to talk about her uh, her line about the reckoning thing. She wanted to stop, but it doesn't. Yeah. Do you think to me that's that's a memory? Maybe she's recalling. You want to bet that the same thing happened when they came for Clem? whoever they were maybe i bet that we're going to get a similar because we saw in the in the marketing material we did see what looks like a squad of clones on what i believe is ferrix okay and it's probably them catching up with clem and marva and the hanging hmm. be weird to get there but uh, well she's heard like she's heard it before she yeah. knows what it is and we know at some point it is coming yeah 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 so but uh, below uh, Mosque in the square, we see assorted astromech droids kind of in for repair. And uh, Cyril, he's watching from his shadowy position. There's a better shot of that rifle. Yeah. Well, that's why I think it's kind of in the same family. It is a very similar, very similar look, very similar profile. Mm -hmm. Back at Marva's, though, uh, she continues on. It's when it stops. That's when you really start to want to fret. And one of the guards, he looks angrily back from his window position. But the other guard, he's a bit shaken. He's like, why? What happens then? Yeah. And she doesn't answer him. She just kind of grins and sits back and doesn't answer. But uh, over on Rick's Road, the North team, they've moved into position. And suddenly the clanging stops and that's, the area goes silent. That's part of why I think she's she's kind of 
off in her own memories. Yeah. But back at Marva's uh, B2, he comes back to life as uh, the two guards, they leave their position and rush off. And Marva, she just remains seated as we see the two silhouettes run past the window. Again, we cut back to Cyril and he's still staring out that door, but Cassian's blaster enters the frame. And I don't know if this is a first for Star Wars, but he cocks the hammer. Hmm. I normally you that. don't have to cock the hammer on a blaster. Yeah, it's true. But uh, it's enough to shake him. And uh, we do hear all kinds of like every time, like in the Clone Wars in the animated series, every time the clones would like raise their rifles, you'd get that kind of like they're readying them. Hmm. So whether like does he physically like thumb it, a it thing? Sounds like he physically just. But do we see him? No. It could just be, you know, changing a setting like from stun to lethal or something, right? Maybe, yeah. Which gives the same effect. Yes. Right? I mean, clearly the the look on Karn's face. Like, yeah. Oh, he knows oh, he's oh. Uh, in it now. Yeah. Oh, doo-doo. Pants go brown. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Andor tells him, you know, drop your weapon and your calm. And he promptly crushes that under his boot. Yeah. And then he asks how many. And he says, I don't know. And Luthan out of the shadows says, kill him. Yeah. And Cassian again says, you know, how many? And he's trembling and he answers 12. No, 14. 12 men and two officers. And then Cassian, he shoots Luthan a smile and they yank him back from the doorway. And uh, we cut back out and we find uh, the one dude from the North team there. He's running back to the pod. Yeah, go back to the pod. Yeah. And uh, it's the guy who shot Tim. Oh, yeah, for sure it is. And uh, he rushes Trigger, trigger happy uh, new guy. Yeah. And he jumps in the pilot seat, starts the ignition sequence, and revs the throttle. Craft starts to lift off, but we see that uh, there's a big cable hanging from the bottom of it. And uh, we soon find that it's attached to a really big chunk of salvage. But uh, he doesn't slow down. He just hits the throttle harder. And it causes the metal chunk to start swinging beneath it, giving it that uh, giant pendulum. Yeah. Yeah. And it swings hard enough that it gets lodged in a gantry and the swing effect causes the craft to smash into the side of uh, the spider pod. Yeah, <laughs> basically, <laughs> but it smashes into the side and it explodes off camera. But then we get to see it from the position of Sergeant. Oh, Moss. yeah. He's like, he's like, what? Who was that? Doesn't he say, was that ours or something? Yeah. yeah. Asks yeah, yeah. who it was. And uh, was that Cassian? And the North team replies, they don't know. And North team suggests they're behind us. But uh, oh, yeah, Moss, yeah, yeah. the explosion like, is behind them. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, oh, we're under siege. They're everywhere. Uh, and we get uh, a little bit of partial orabesh on the tank, but uh, it's not enough to read the whole word. Yeah, that's okay. a couple letters. But uh, back uh, with Cassian and Luthan, they enter a depot garage and there's a variety of vehicles here. And uh, we see a couple speeder bikes and something closer to a car. Yeah, but uh Cassie and eyes up the car and he looks back at Luthan and says, how many of those slap charges you have left? So uh, he's got a plan. We cut back and the last member of the East team, he's making his way through the area and he hears screaming from inside a building. More like muffled. Muffled. Yeah. Muffled <laughs> screaming. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, he leans in, he clears the, clears the area and proceeds in. And inside we find Cyril. He's bound and gagged on the floor. And as the corporal ungags him, he sees a speeder go flying by the door and he cries out. That's them. They're getting away. And of course, Sergeant Mosk, he opens fire and Cyril and the East team corporal, they rush into the street and open fire as well. 
but uh, I don't think we've seen a ver- like a version of this speeder before. It still looks very plainly yeah. Star Warsy and yeah, it's definitely not as round as Luke's, but it's more boxy. But yeah, 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 yeah. It uh, makes its way down, taking fire, and uh, the North team they hold their position, they continue to fire, and it explodes, and it nosedives into a into the ground, and the team leaps out of the way as the vehicle flips over and lands on its roof, and uh, it comes crashing down, and when the dust settles, the North team they kind of move in from all sides and cereal he gives like a little brief smile and he looks up at sergeant mosque and he's just smiling he's crazy. beaming yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, like job well done and uh it's short-lived because before they know it another speeder comes out speeder bike and cassian and luthan are on it heading in the opposite direction and again luthan pulls out a detonator and uh triggers the remaining charges yep. hidden on that wreck speeder Kaboom. and this explosion decimates what's remaining of the north team and shocked uh cyril he just stands frozen at what just happened again this is where and this speaks to this really speaks to me uh mostly because of my previous career as a as a medic in the army um there's casualties and mosk immediately goes in to manage the casualties yeah he starts calling for he calls specifically calls for a kazavak i think he actually makes a mention of a mass casualty at one point and i'm like wow that is super super credible yeah but uh, we follow uh, cassian and luther as they speed away beside a host of pipelines and uh cyril he's just He's like shell-shocked, standing there, staring at the burning wreckage. And uh, his expression, it tightens up a little bit because he realizes Cassian has escaped. Yeah. We cut back uh, to the flashback briefly, and we find Marva carrying a sleeping Casa as Clem. He's got uh, a bunch of gear with him and B2 as well, carrying fuel cells and more. But the flashback, it quickly fades back into present day. And there's a tear that rolls down Marva's cheek as she sits on uh, Cassian's bed and uh, B2, he lowers his head as well. And they're, uh, you know, all sad back on the North stairs though. Bix, she's still handcuffed and staring at Tim's lifeless body. Yeah. But uh, pack and Wilman, they free her and she reaches out for him and they drag her like they were, we got to go and drag her away. And, uh, another cut over to the bar brasso he's sitting there with the thousand yard stare so is he reflecting on what he just did or i think this is sort of the uh i mean how do you punctuate an ending yeah you know an ending for not just the episode but uh also for their like is this the end is this how cassian exits these people's lives and we see them in that moment reflecting on okay, this is the, you know, the end of our connection to this person. Or is this just the end of this chapter? You know, yeah, I guess so. You get the feel from them. Like these guys would all be candidates to go into a rebellion. You know what? Maybe there is that, uh, that element to that reflection of like, what, what is it all for? What's the, you know, don't we all question sort of why are we here? What are we doing with ourselves? Yeah. That could be, you know, especially for Bix and for Brasso, like yeah. what, what am I doing this for? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we get a shot, an aerial view of the speeder bike cutting across uh, various patches of agricultural land. That's a little glory shot too. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. So there's, there's all sorts of stuff on this planet. 
to back in the square, Cyril, he continues to stare at the wreckage and mosque. He's continuing to call for help. And the sergeant, he turns his attention to Cyril, gets right in his face, like yelling, we got to go. We got to go now. Yeah. Again, I mean, like, uh, there's there's an element of realism here where they've just basically been uh, um, attacked with an improvised explosive device. And yeah. the first rule of, uh, you know, getting attacked by an improvised explosive device is to have a high index of suspicion for secondary devices. Uh, because right now they are standing in the kill box. Yeah. They do not want to be there. Yeah. It's so credible. I know I'm kind of gushing about it, but it's very, uh, mosque is on point. Here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Snap yeah. The hell out of it. We got to move. And we cut back again and we see Cassian and Luthen. they've ditched the speeder and he follows Luthen into the Canyon where the ship is hiding and he just whistles and the ship starts coming to life. So I don't know what yeah. automation he's got going on there, but well, in episode two, when they're approaching and he's talking to the ship and it has a very human like voice, hmm. um, when he's asking about, um, how far, true, uh, how far it is. And he's like, nothing closer. The voice talking back to him is very, I mean, droids do have a way, at least the human, human ish ish droids like C3PO. I mean, obviously sounds like a person, but yeah. it's such a smooth it's not like uh, B2 and Solo who has, yes, it's a female voice, but there's an, a, an electronic tone that's over it. Yeah. It's a very smooth, natural sounding voice. Yeah. The uh, Maybe it's an artificial intelligence. The advancement of Google. Oh. Maybe. But uh, as they go into the ship, we cut again fast to the flashback. And Marva, she sets Casa on the bed. And Clem, he's stowing the gear in the same spot. Yeah, that, uh, Cassian would later use back uh, in episode one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Marva, she jumps in the seat and fires up the ship and uh, we cut back again. You really get an idea of how yeah. stripped that ship is because in episode one, the seats are just bare metal frames. There's nothing on yeah. them. Cassian follows Luthen into the cockpit, but he's still, you know, kind of looking around like, oh, last time I got on a ship, life changed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, very Carillion looking on the interior. It's got that uh, Millennium Falcon style uh, round cockpit. Yeah. Um, and the interior does look very similar. Mm -hmm. uh, back on Canari, though, uh, the ship lifts off and uh, Cassa, he starts to stir as sunlight streams through across his face and he squints and he looks forward. And uh, in the moment, it kind of echoes it again. Yep. Because... Uh, we find uh, Cassian looking out towards the sun, the same as when uh, Marva took him. Yeah. It's the same kind of yeah, like twice in succession here. We're going to get two shots. Like we see uh, Cassian staring out the front. And in the very next frame, we see Cassa staring out the front again. And uh, you know, Cassa, he kind of looks a little bit more hopeful but uh, Marva, she stares back from the pilot seat and there's a small dream catcher like trinket hanging from the roof. Yep. I don't know its significance, but uh, the, uh, the descriptive audio guy felt it was enough to, to mention, mention that. It's, yeah. yeah. Interesting. And then you can see the, the parallel shots here uh, in the final cutback. Cassian again is staring towards the sun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we cut to black. So that is this episode. Mm. Episode three. Um, really picks up the pace it, it really, really does yeah 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 um it basically closes and i've i've said this right from the beginning that these episodes all together work as a bit of a prologue if you yeah. don't watch them 
if you haven't watched them all uh in one sitting you must it is a must you must do that go back and do it yeah stop what we're doing stop looking at us go back rewatch all three come back yeah because here comes the theory <laughs> yes here we go so uh throughout the course of the first three episodes in the first or all taking place in the flashback yeah uh in episode one when it crashes you can clearly see yellow smoke billowing out as yeah, well as the black yellow smoke. green kind of yeah something and then when we get to the first body that's fallen the one that's not quite dead he's not fully yellow so no he's not his gas mask must have been on and he got out sort of in time but then the next guy we find he's hanging out that uh exhaust oh, yeah port yeah and yeah and he's as green yeah, yellow he as the make it out in time yeah inside in episode three we see the guy and like you had said he's fully jaundiced oh my gosh yeah but then when uh b2 rolls in he says that uh the air toxicity is fine now yep yep and marva she goes on to you know it's fine you can take your mask off don't worry about it and clem is like you know it's not the gas that we need to worry about yeah it's the it's the time the frame. time yeah so like you had said what do we think's going on here is it uh, the Republic actually doing something to the people of Canada? Well, so that I mean there was this whole kaba- uh, hubbub this week about did, did was that a continuity error? And at yeah. first, I was happy to write it off as like I think she meant to say separatist when she said Republic, but but multiple times they go no. back to that Republic. Like B two says, the Republic frigate is coming that makes sense it, it totally makes sense and i even i even justified it you know she actually meant to say separatist because why else would the republic show up because yeah. they're enemies of course it's the republic showing up in orbit yeah but you know we have this uh this mining accident that may or may not have happened i know that's a, an episode two thing but uh in episode two we see that uh the strip mine the open pit mine yeah where's the evidence of there's no evidence of any accident the machinery is intact like there's nothing there that suggests to me that there was an accident yeah was there really an accident or was it something intentional well i feel like there's a there's a possibility that that ship um looking at the interior of that ship we'll talk about the interior does it not uh, is it not reminiscent of the star path unit the same shiny black yeah it's very imperial like star destroyer interior looking yeah is this in fact a republic ship which it could very well be if it is a republic ship and i said this i said this in a couple online groups hey war is hell and both sides do despicable things even cassian says in rogue one we've all done things in the name uh, you know for the rebellion yeah what have they done to me, I feel like this is potentially a Republic black op and they're trying to deliver a biological weapon to a separatist world under the guise of it's the separatists themselves doing it because Just if favor towards them. this is what I said, if it ever if it ever got out to the general population that their own government would do that to them then it would generate sympathy for the Republic at a time when the Republic is struggling to hold on to member worlds. Yeah. I don't know all the details. It's I'm a sure pretty, we'll get more. it's a pretty loose theory, but that's what I'm going with. I think it's a biological weapon and that is the cover up. Oh, mining accident. Yeah. So that nobody finds, you know, there's no reason to go there. 
stay away from whatever traces are left of the yep. of the weapon it's dangerous right and i do think that we are going to get answers to that i, I believe so we've said it before everything in star wars is intentional and so what i was happy to write off as a continuity error and maybe some bad direction no looking back there is like little crumbs all the way through there's a reason why she said that it's a republic officer even though they are clearly wearing, wearing a those. confederate yeah. Uh, patch yeah. yeah yeah i don't know you guys what do you think uh let us know in the comments obviously uh hit us up on social media with all of your theories yeah next episode comes out wednesday next wednesday episode four uh do you suspect that they'll they'll it'll be titled right away uh it might be at this point they had to have the titles for these episodes before they ever oh, put them up absolutely um why they didn't put the titles on them someone forgot i don't know <laughs> minor detail <laughs> i don't minor know. detail I don't know. But well, man, anything you want to finish on before we uh, wrap up for this one? That's all I got for this one. Well, it's a it was a uh, great episode. It was definitely fast, more fast paced. Uh, absolutely. And watching all three together, it it gets you where you need to be. I think going forward, uh, four through twelve, it's going to be a very different looking yeah uh, looking show, especially now that uh, Cassian and Luthen are now uh, connected. Yeah. We get a whole bunch of stuff that we saw in the marketing material uh, that that shows Luthen is clearly connected to the Republic, uh, the Senate, and somehow at least we know that he's connected to Mon Mothma. Yep. So um, we'd always joked about wanting to see more of the the politics of the government, and uh, it looks like we're uh, or politics of the Republic. Looks like we're going to get some of that. So uh, I think next episode we're going to get the return of the Chief Inspector, though, and he's going to lose his shit. I'm very interested to see if he does make a return and if he does, how is he going to handle it? Because now, I mean, like you know, his flat out went fully against him. The whole, uh, the less that the, the empire is looking at us. Um, you just, your man has just attracted a lot of attention. Yep. Uh, not only did he go against what you told him to do, he bungled an operation and cost them <laughs> the lives of multiple employees. Right. Right. So, uh, Ooh, it could be a very different uh, uh the end of his career it could be a lot quicker yep. <laughs> in the, Va in the Vader sense. Well, hopefully vader doesn't show up for sure for him then. no no you know what tony gilroy said we're not going to see vader in this probably not i don't think so no we didn't need to see him until rogue one so all right well listen guys Thank you for hanging out with us, uh, what, for this last uh, hour and some. Uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the episode as much as we did. We will be back um, to cover episode four uh, as soon as it drops and we get our get our notes and stuff together. But um, for sure, we'll be there covering it all for you the same way that we always do. And uh, until next time, guys, for Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. And bye for now, everybody. Hey guys, quick edit here. Um, the world is starting to uh, stabilize again, at least here in Canada. Look, it's Hank. He's back from the hurricane. Um, how are things out there? Uh, they're returning to normal. A lot of down trees. <laughs> a lot of we're, we had no power for thirty six hours. Um, excellent. I'm wearing no, the same shirt as excellent. episode That's two. Awful. That is um, so awful. Uh, it yeah, and 
unfortunately, like it's like the chips flew off the the shelves, and uh, no, oh, I don't know. People, storm chips. It's it's funny that people Man, don't take ahead. it as you know. The, the thing you hear the most is uh, so what, so what? They're like like numb to it, right? And uh, I sort of thought that when I first moved here, uh, you know, over a dozen years ago, that people were living in the shadow of hurricane Juan, like they were freaked out by a monster that occurred years and years right, and years right. ago. Um, and now that's sort of gone into complacency. So when you have the United States meteorology department and, you know, these things from the world saying, this is going to be a historic uh, event. And they'd use terms like the worst Canada, oh, worst yeah. storm Canada has ever seen and yep. uh, et cetera. And now uh, I don't believe there's any loss of life. Um, certainly, uh, some serious property damage in Newfoundland and, uh, PEI, but I would say that like compared to Juan and maybe even Dorian, that this was like a, a puppy, mm. uh, comparatively, uh, and never fun to run out of power. The worst thing for me, if I was going to complain about one personal item, I live on the 18th floor and I got to walk my dog. <laughs> so I don't know when the last time you guys walked up 18 flights three well, times in a day. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> I, I'm not built for that shit that anymore. Do you, you stop and you stop and take a rest along the way? I did. I did. I was trying to be a trooper the first <laughs> time, but uh, no, I was like, I was on five and then I was on nine and then I was on 12 and then, you know, I had to sit down and my heart was just going, boom, 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 boom. Well, listen, anyway, let's, let's we are glad. We are, we are so glad that you are okay um, and we're super happy to have you back in the show. I'm going to circle back around to loss of life because that brings me to mm. a conversation that Andy and I have already had the privilege of talking, but I wanted to circle back and revisit this because I know you have some thoughts on this. We kind of went back and forth uh, offline, not on camera. You're right. here now. I want to go through this, uh, what we are believing or what we are, theory. yeah, what we are told is a separatist ship right there's something going on here and i don't know if it's at first we were all kind of like did she just say republic when she talking sure about the, the dead officer and it's like is this is this just like did she forget her line is this a a, a continuity error is this bad direction what happened here right. nothing is by accident nothing and originally accident. well there it is Originally, I had said it works if if it is a simple continuity error and she actually meant to say separatist, then everything else that happens after that, it works. It's totally fine. And on some level, I don't think it is, but on on that level, superficially, if that's all it is, then it works and it'll be fine and we'll figure out what this is going down the road. But how many times have we said everything in Star Wars is intentional? Heavy. Heavy. I would episodes leave us breadcrumbs yeah. the whole way through. I would think any top tier pro property now, especially sci-fi fantasy stuff, they're aware that fans watch this so much differently than they ever watched things before. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, to the point where there's a Starbucks cup in a Game of Thrones, it's it's edited immediately. <laughs> you know, it might have gone out live, but it's edited immediately. How about our um, crew member in the hallway, right, guy, right, in, yeah. yeah, Jeans guy in the Jeans Mandalorian. Guy. And so it does happen, but I mean, those are mistakes. This is a line of dialogue and I don't believe it's a mistake for a second. Okay. Coming back around to that. I have a theory. It's a very loose theory and I, it's full of holes. I don't know how we're going to fill them in, but I want to propose that 
what Marva says is true, that this is, in fact, a Republic crewed ship. It is a Republic ship. And that this is a Republic black op to deliver what I believe to be a biological weapon. Oh, that's some dangerous thinking there, Ed. <laughs> Listen, war wow. is hell. Yeah. War is hell. Sure and is. both sides, and you've said it yourself, both sides were doing some awful things. Awful things. But Star Wars has not really, is not, you know, talking about peeling layers and, and onions. This is a layer that we've never, we've never had the veil pulled back like this before, if that is in fact what's going on here. And it, it paints a very dark, dark picture because if that is the case, if this is the reason why, if this, whatever this is, biological weapon is the reason for the mining accident, right. quotations, mining accident, <clears throat> and why nobody goes here, um, that has huge ramifications for uh what we believe to be true about the republic right uh we know it's nothing for the imperials to say say this happened yeah uh, instead of this like well at scarif just tell them that it was a or a jetta tell them it was a mining disaster yep, yep. Uh, so we know that they've blamed them that destroying things on mining disasters as a as a point of fact um but you know so i'm if i poke a hole in it it's not so much poke a hole in it, but that means that if Marva is privy to this black ops, yep. then she's somebody that we're not, you know what I mean? Like that means that makes her somebody. She's not squeaky clean. She's not only, not only is she just like Cassian's adopted mom, what have you. Um, she's somebody else. She's like a high she's level in operative in the know, you know, like of some kind. who on the other side would know about a black op. But why would she and or level spy? And it would make sense that he got those skills somewhere. So you might have a little traction there, my friend. There might be something there. And I believe that you do as well, because why? Why would Marva uh, concoct an alternate story for his place of birth? Why? Yeah. See, what now reason I thought does she, she was, have. I thought she was lying to her friend there, essentially. Um, as, an, as a point of urgency, um, if she's separatist affiliated, it would be make sense yep. to make Republic troops feel like vampires. Yeah. You know, like the, like the way we, we, uh, North American, uh, media vilified the, the German and the, uh, the Japanese in world war two, it would make sense that they would be painted. Like they're going to kill us when they find us, they're going to kill these children when they find them. Uh, I guess oh, yeah. they don't know children plural yet. Maybe they think that the boy was on the ship. Um, you know, here's, well, do we see them land? Do we see them land their ship? We don't, a, we we don't see, see them. them land. We do see them take off. Yeah. Um, okay. Cause I was going to say, were they on the ship when it crashed? Superficially, <laughs> superficially, they're taking off with a bunch of power cells. So clearly right. they're, they're, yeah, they're good old that fashioned kind of, reading. Sure, it lends itself to the the, the daily business goings of Ferrex as a scrapyard and a, a salvaging kind of place, and that that works all fine and dandy. Now, canonically speaking, Cassian's parents are known to be separatists, hmm. so you know that whole line about "I've been in this since I was six, right, has a whole different meaning now. It's not just he's been fighting the Empire; it's he's been fighting a war his entire life, right. Um, yeah. but that's not how we're introduced to this character. No, 
Um, he's a lot older than six when we meet him. So there's still some, there's still some like, Hmm, there's some stuff to be filled in. That may just be one of those, you know, I, as the showrunner, am not beholden to everything that came before me. And we may or may not stick to, we might yeah. massage things for and our for own needs. 20, 25 odd years. He's held on to the idea of where's his sister, because that's sort of one of his underlying, like, that's why he borrows the ship in the beginning. Like episode one, I'm looking for my sister. This has got to be why he's trying to smuggle and then flip such high value targets. Like to make the money to search for his sister. See, he has a noble overtone. Yeah. In episode two, we talked about aging Cassian and where, how old he might be here. And, And we pegged him at 12 or 13. Right. Right. Which puts this sort of, we we sort of talked about where in the timeline we think this is and and i think we landed on maybe 19 or or even 20 bby so just sure. at the end of the war yeah i put his about, i definitely put his age there and i i, I yeah. sort of put a little sort of plus or minus three years on either side of that yeah, because, i agree with you on that because he's 35 to 40 in rogue one sure he is um at that point in galactic history, though, we've got the, the Clone War is is rolling. Well, it's going to end abruptly, but um, there's a line of dialogue uh, in in uh, Clone Wars, or maybe it's in the, one of the, the, I think it's in the crawling text of Attack of the Clones about worlds are, are basically hemorrhaging away from the Republic, and mm-hmm. the Republic is really trying to hold on to, you know, anything they can. Yeah. Um, is that not motivation enough to, like I was saying before, if the if the general population uh, in the Confederacy found out that they were being killed by their own government, would that not generate sympathy for the Republic? Certainly, and let's not forget that the, the a lot of the power structure of the Republic is the power structure that's behind the Empire. So well, when, when is, we know yeah. that when we know that like Tarkin's not above like using a chemical warfare on a, you know why would he have been when he was a Republic officer? So. You, you, you have some legs there for sure, bro. I'm interested to see where this goes, but I mean, um, the, the smoking ship theory, I guess we can call this, um, is the biggest, like they show it huh? multiple times. Well, there's a reason why it was part of the marketing in what, two or three trailers. Yeah. Not yeah. just, a it looks a lot like a Corvette to me though. Like a, kind like of? a Corellian Corvette. Kind of. It's kind of boxy. I presume it's a cargo ship of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what it is. Um, and right now it is, it is a big question mark for me. Yeah. And it's it's the most a, interesting sort of rabbit hole they've given us for sure. We'll definitely uh, put a pin in that and we're going to come back to it. I'm sure as, uh, as the show explores this, because they can't not leave that as a continuity error. <laughs> no. They just can't. 